Here's what's coming up on this week's show. The Frosters will go after small businesses because they know what's at stake for the small businesses, but also because they know that small businesses are unlikely to have some of the security processes and protection mechanisms in place. The Beat. Welcome to The Big Little Business Show, the podcast that helps small business think big. Hey, hey, how you doing? Welcome to the Big Little Business Show. It's Paul Mumford over here, the lovely Claire Horsley over there. Before we go any further, if you're joining us for the very first time, hi. Don't forget to hit subscribe or follow so you get future episodes into your inbox. And let us know what you think as well. We'd love to hear your feedback, so make sure you leave us a review, leave us a comment. Maybe let us know what future episodes you'd like us to concentrate on. Uh, It's our first return customer today, Claire. I know, isn't that brilliant? Brilliant. Yeah, David is just so full of information. So it was a pleasure to welcome him back onto the show. Yeah, David McClellan was on with us a few months ago talking about uh, all the different tech that we can have to help our business move forward. And I don't know about you, but I've kind of been stumbling on this little problem on Facebook and Instagram and everywhere more and more recently. And that's hacking. Yeah, it's it's scary stuff, isn't it? And um I think people are much more aware of it happening now because, of course, we've increased our, our working, you know, our businesses online um, and we really need to sort of up our game, I think, to really fully appreciate what can happen, heaven forbid, if we are indeed hacked and most importantly, what can we do to prevent it happening? Yeah, and this cybercrime comes from all different angles. It could be an email, it could be a phone call, it could be a um, it could be an attack on your Facebook account or your Instagram account or any other account for that matter. Uh, so you need to be protected from all different angles. Now, David is a, a tech expert and a consumer expert. You see him pop up on UK TV quite a lot. He writes for Metro newspaper. Uh, you certainly see him on programs like Rip Off Britain and uh, some of the daytime TV shows and uh, Watchdog and all those kind of things. Uh, so when it comes to tech, and in particular, cybersecurity, he really knows his stuff. Yeah, he, cer- he certainly does. I had the notepad and pen out, of course, but it is one that I'll be listening to back again and again and again. This is the Big Little Business Show. Here we go. When we actually say we've been hacked, what does ha- being hacked actually mean? When we say we've been hacked, it can mean a number of different things, I think it's fair to say. So uh, it could be that a piece of software, a piece of malicious software that uh, wants to do some kind of no good has been installed onto one of your devices. Uh, That could be in the form of something that's going to sweep up your personal information. It could be ready to encrypt and hold to ransom your sensitive data. But another type of hacking, really in a way more prevalent these days than once it was, is whereby one of your online accounts has been hacked. So this could be anything from one of your social media accounts to your online banking. And this means that uh, criminals might be able to commit identity fraud, be able to take out credit or take out cash and transfer it into their own accounts without you even knowing about it straight away. So hacking isn't really a single dimensional thing. And I think the world that some of us are coming from, you know, in the dawn of the of computing, at least home computing in the internet era, where we think of malware and viruses as something that was installed onto a machine, these days it's a lot more complicated than that. And given that much of our lives is stored on computers, that 
don't belong to us. We've actually no idea where half of our information is stored up there in the cloud, this big USB stick in the sky. That's the place where hackers and scammers are, are particularly active because it's easier for them to get to that than it is for them to get to my PC or my Mac. We thought this might be a good topic to tackle because I don't know whether this is our imagination or the fact that we're spending a lot more time sitting in front of computers. But has this stuff got worse in the last 12 months? Yes, it, it has. And I remember covering some of this stuff um, last year, not long after the beginning of the coronavirus pandemic, about the amount of, for example, uh, spam email uh, with, with various kinds of um, phishing links, for example, in email. Um, that were as a result of the coronavirus pandemic. And one of the very common ways in which malicious actors, and I, I use that term uh, because that's a term often used by the security industry, the likes of Google were stopping billions of uh, malicious emails every day because fraudsters and scammers will try and act upon people's fears. So for example, um, there was something that, that went around on a few WhatsApp groups last week that was, uh, for people who are over 40, one of the local doctor's surgeries has some extra vaccine that, that runs out uh, by the end of March. So phone this number, and they gave uh, a legitimate um, local surgery. People who are in, in my age group, many of us are fairly eager to get hold of this vaccine. So it seemed like a very plausible message until... I phoned up the doctor's surgery in question because I was concerned that the message had a mobile number and not the doctor's surgery number. Uh, and I phoned up the doctor's surgery and they said, oh, no, not another one. This message has been forwarded thousands of times by the looks of it. We've no idea where it comes from. So somebody had created this message with a, a, a very good background and was getting people to call them who knows what they were looking at doing? Because I called the number and the number had been shut down by this point. Were they trying to steal people's personal information? Were they trying to get some kind of payment uh, saying, yeah, you know, we will need to charge you twelve ninety nine for the vaccine or whatever, you know, can you give us your PayPal details or here's a bank transfer? So, uh, yes, criminals will use different means, very often hooked into current news stories in order to try and get through our defences. It's all part of their social engineering attacks. God, it's so scary, isn't it? And these people are getting cleverer and cleverer. But yeah, they're just, they just know exactly how to press our buttons. And that's what makes it uh, all the more important that we, uh, we're we on our guard at all times with all this. So we do want to talk about internet security in general, because I think as we've got you on, we might as well cover uh, kind of as many bases as we possibly can. But I think it's important to start with maybe social media first, because that's the one that seems to be getting a lot of press at the moment. And I know that's something you've been talking about quite a lot on, uh, on the TV and certainly in your uh, articles that you write as well, isn't it? Yeah, so one attack that we've seen growth of over the last few months. Um, it comes out of the fact that many small businesses in particular, and you know, I'm aware of, of your audience here on this show, um, small businesses looking to try and uh, try and create some traction. Unfortunately, for, for many, have found it very difficult during the course of the pandemic. Maybe some boutique businesses maybe had some kind of presence uh, in a shop front all of a sudden those shop fronts are all closed. So many have switched to social media instead. And sites like Instagram are, are great places. They are, these are the digital shop fronts where a lot of leads, a lot of sales, and certainly a lot of customer engagement happens. Fraudsters, of course, 
they know this. So what they've been doing is, uh, and I think they've been quite clever in identifying a kind of sweet spot in terms of size of business, number of followers, amount of engagement with those followers. They've been targeting small business social media accounts. Uh, and, and what they do is they hold them to ransom, saying to the legitimate owner of that account, pay us a certain amount of money and we will give you your account back. So how do they do this? Their attack vector is is phishing. So they will make contact with the account owner, typically through a direct message. It's worth pointing out, before we go any further, that phishing doesn't mean what the gnome does at the bottom of the garden. <laughs> <laughs> of course, of course. This is phishing with a PH. For example, I might be sent a link via an email or a text message or a direct message on a platform. And it looks like it's from a legitimate trusted source. And if I were to click on that link, I would be sent to a web page that would look like my Instagram login or my Facebook login or the login for my bank. However, it is not. The URL, the web address might be a little bit different or they might have hijacked a page on someone else's website. And by filling in the details on that page, rather than logging on to said site, I'm giving my login information to a malicious third party. It really is like fishing, isn't it? It's putting a hook in the water and seeing if you get a fish. Yeah, exactly. And there are actually different variations on the term phishing. You've got the kind of spam phishing where, you know, uh, malicious actors will send out thousands, millions of emails in the hope that, you know, 1%, 0 0.001% will click on the link. Uh, and then you've got very, very targeted attacks, spear phishing, for example, where the, uh, where the bad guys will go very, very targeted after a particular individual. They will tailor the attack to that individual because they think they have a higher chance of it being successful. And that's what's been happening with these small businesses. So uh, typically it'll be a direct message purporting to be, if it's on Instagram, from Instagram. And they will create that sense of fear. So it will be, oh, uh, on a recent video or on a picture, there is a copyright claim and you're, you will be suspended if you don't click here within 30 days or, or okay, a much shorter time span than that, probably 24 hours, 48 hours. Out of sheer fright, given that their business rides on this Instagram page, on this Instagram account, they will click on the link, go to what looks like it is a legitimate Instagram uh, login page. They will log in on that. Of course, they haven't just logged into the site. They've just given their login information to a fraudster. The fraudster at this point will log in to the site using those stolen credentials, will change whatever details they can, username, password, password certainly, email address as well if they can. Uh, and then uh, it's up to the victim to try and get that site back. It is infuriating it is it is desperate and if your income relies upon to, to a large extent your presence on one of these social media platforms then it's potentially disastrous uh, this is a story that I've, I've I've covered a little bit uh, on on two shows recently and one of the main problems it seems is if this does happen to you and a lot of this fraud does not go reported because people are embarrassed about it. I don't think it is anything to be embarrassed about. You know, the stories we hear are very much the tip of the iceberg, I think. But if you are a victim of this fraud, it's how to rectify the situation because 
Instagram is a massive platform and the complaint is that they do not make it easy for individuals, for business owners to get in touch with an actual person to get the situation resolved. And there are processes that you can go through for account recovery, but fraudsters are pretty hot on that as well. And depending upon how well the fraudsters have you know, sunk their claws into your account, it can be difficult sometimes unfortunately impossible to get your account back without it being left with any scars wow yeah i mean we've talked we talked earlier about in the last 12 months um the increase on internet fraud because i guess obviously there's so many more people and people who are listening who have maybe you know pivoted their businesses as such that they're doing a lot more online working you know we're all using zoom um you know we're introducing ourselves to new platforms all the time so we haven't maybe a lot of us had the experience and haven't got the knowledge as to how to protect ourselves you know sufficiently because we haven't maybe had to really think about it before um i mean what other repercussions are there for being hacked on social media in terms of what uh, you know the hackers are actually capable of doing other ways in which the bad guys have been able to, to to monetize access to an account is by selling goods that don't exist by taking orders and then not sending them out um, by making contacts with other people extorting money I mean I don't know how many times you've had over the years a message from somebody who might be in your contacts on uh, a social media site or, or, or WhatsApp or whatever saying, help, I'm stuck in Milan, I'm stuck in Paris, I'm stuck somewhere. Yeah, oh. A few years ago, actually. Send me some money because uh, at the moment, you know, my wallet's been stolen. Uh, I'm just by a Western Union. Could you send the money here? I'd be really, really grateful. If that comes from someone who you think you know, you're much more likely to respond to that. So that's another way in which access to a social media account can be uh, gold dust potentially for a hacker. The one I get come up quite a lot is I get a, a private message uh, from one of my friends uh, with a video saying, oh, look, you're in this video. Oh, yeah. yeah. Have a look and you click on this video and then all of a sudden, oh, yeah, 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 we've got your details too. Uh, so that's, that's another way of doing it, isn't it? Uh, and it plays on people's curiosity. Catches you off guard. Yeah, you, you, mm. you want to know what's going on. The fraudsters, I mean, that there is a begrudging respect and mutual admiration at times between the fraudsters and those who are trying to protect us against them because it's a it's a game of creative technology cat and mouse and there's a lot of social psychology that goes into this and one of the advantages that fraudsters have is the ability to iterate they will they can operate at scale they can try different campaigns different scripts different variations on scripts and based upon the numbers work out what works the best and then iterate on that they're constantly improving how they attack us whether that's from technological means through malware or whether it is social engineering attacks. Uh, and really, it's the job of the security researchers to try and keep us safe. But it's it, it's a losing battle in many ways, because the fraudsters are one step ahead very often. Yeah, I've had two messages actually in the last week. Um, one to collect a parcel um, <laughs> from Royal Mail. And I actually did think it was something from a, a family member abroad. So of course, I, I, I dropped my guard momentarily, and then I realised. Um, and the other one was about car tax. And these social engineering attacks, this is very much the way forward because, you know, we, get, we go back to, to malware, viruses of old. Hardware and software has got hardened to protect against these digital assaults, you know, whether it's the operating system being really secure or whether it's uh, anti-malware software that we, ins 
install on there. So it's no coincidence, I think, Claire, that that scammers are turning their attention towards social engineering scams instead. Why sneak around the back door when, if you're ballsy enough, you can blag your way in through the front door instead? So let's go back to Instagram and Facebook and all those kind of things. How do you know when you've been hacked? I mean, are there signs to look out for to show that someone's been dipping into your stuff? How do you know? So th- th- there are some statistics that will, particularly for, for businesses, and, and maybe this is skewed towards larger businesses, I, d- I don't know, but the average uh, attack, the victim doesn't find out that their data has been compromised or their systems have been compromised for sometimes 200 days after the attack actually wow. began. So this might be a hacker has somehow gained access to your email and they are waiting waiting until they see an email come in that enables them to conduct an attack. They might be waiting for a password reset email to come from your internet banking or from one of your social media accounts. So they'll just sit there and wait. Or it could be, and and I say I've, I've done research into this, the same with any organised crime. There are multiple actors involved in it. And the people who are often tasked with getting access to an account are not the ones who then will, will try and monetize it. So they will sell on the dark web, sometimes on the on the clear web, the, the normal internet as well, access to somebody's online account. And they might sell it for a, a few cents or, or a few pounds per account. And they will sell those on bulk or individually through marketplaces that look just like Amazon sites that sell unauthorized access to people's accounts have review systems you can pay online it's it's all very very uh, smooth an operation but then the next person who buys that detail they'll be the ones who will then try and extort money or or try to monetize it in some way so that can be another reason why it may be quite a long time after you've actually been hacked that you start to see the malicious actor do their thing so one thing that you may well notice is that you don't have access to your account anymore. You know, if you're unable to log in, then that's probably a a sign that something's not quite right. And, you know, it it can be sometimes that uh, the online platforms will put up the shutters because they realise that, hang on a minute, we've got a pattern of logins here, which is abnormal. Normally, this person logs in once a week or every morning with their breakfast or something like that to check for any messages. All of a sudden, we've had half a dozen logins in the space of three hours from somewhere in South America. Let's just lock things down. It, that that's the best case scenario. In a worst case scenario, your account has been taken over and how a victim will then uh, act next will be maybe to send a direct message to the to their account saying, hey, um, what's going on here? Because they might see posts being made on their account that they haven't made. The fraudsters go after small businesses, just, just to round off this bit. Um, the fraudsters will go after small businesses because they know what's at stake for the small businesses, but also because they know that small businesses are unlikely to have some of the security processes and protection mechanisms in place, certainly unlikely to have a dedicated cybersecurity professional or trained social media person running that account. So they're easier for them to infiltrate. So that's that. That's why they are a, a sweet spot for fraudsters. It's scary stuff, isn't it? And and actually, it, it seems like it's a, it's a whole underground world going on, David. You're mm. talking about you know, the 
people trading one another's uh, details and mm. you can go onto Amazon type sites and go and buy this stuff. It's a huge business in itself, isn't it? Um, so should we talk about some um, some more positive things? Well, I can certainly talk about how to protect yourself. Uh, three simple steps. David's three simple steps that I think will protect you against 99% of, of these kind of attacks. Um, and they relate uh, in large to your securing your login. So first of all, your passwords. Now, you need to make sure that you use a unique login for every one of your online accounts. Okay, so this isn't using password one, password two, password three for your Facebook, for your Instagram, for your Twitter. It needs to be a unique login because this is one of the ways in which hackers are able to gain access to our accounts through parallel accounts. They know they know human nature. They know that people will use the same password across multiple accounts. So if they're able to gain access to one of our accounts, then they will start using that same username and password combination against other accounts as well. This is automated via software. It's really, really simple to do this. And again, these tools are freely available online. You just type in a known good username and password and it'll go away and it'll come back and say, oh, this works for your Deliveroo. This works for your Uber. This works for their Twitter account. And they get a list of wow. accounts that these logins are, are good for. And they will then sell access to those accounts to another layer of people who want to make money out of that. Anyway, so make sure your logins are unique for every single one of your online accounts. That is a really tall order because I've got something like 500 or different online logins that I've accumulated over the years. I'm not a memory man. I've got a pretty poor memory as it turns out. And I certainly can't remember unique passwords for every single one of those. So tip two is use a password manager. Now, a password manager... Oh, yeah, I've got one of these. They're great. Oh, they, they are good. And they generate the passwords for you as well, don't they? They do generate complicated passwords. I don't know any of my passwords, apart from the password to my password manager. The more complicated your password is, certainly not anything from the dictionary. A mixture of numbers, letters, funny characters, the longer the better. That makes it very, very difficult for what we call a brute force attack, where a hacker may well try a... a Essentially, a, uh, a not a random number generator, but they will try known words that are very commonly used for people's passwords. They'll go through a dictionary. They'll just pummel a server with lots of different username, password, letter combos. If you've got a big jumble of letters, mathematically speaking, it's going to take them a very, very long time to do that. So you're going to be pretty safe. A password manager is your online digital safe. You need to keep this very, very secure, but it will suggest it will autofill. Um, people are concerned that they've got all of their eggs in one basket, Paul. I, I don't know how you feel about that, but research and you know people who do threat modelling and statistical analysis on this kind of thing say, yeah, there is no such thing as 100% security, but a password manager that is well protected is far more secure than not using a password manager. Just quickly, while we move on, I know uh, Claire's got a question about other ways you can protect yourself, but just quickly on the whole password generator thing, is there one that you'd recommend? I mean, the one that I use, for instance, is part of my antivirus so software, which is um, from Kaspersky, but I know there are lots of other people who do it too. Yeah, there are a few uh, kind of front runners, I guess, who create 
standalone password manager software. Uh, LastPass, OnePassword are a couple that come out very, very high. Dashlane is another. But you're right, there are also password managers very often built into internet security um, programs that will do a, a pretty good job as well. The really, I think most of them now are, are very secure and do more or less the same job. It comes down to individual preferences and the different platforms they work on, how well they integrate with the programs you use with your smartphone and with the web browsers. But many of those key uh, players, those that those main names are going to do pretty much the same standard of job, I think it's fair to say. Now, this has come up a few times for myself um, with um, the request to uh, put in place a two-factor authentication. I can't say the word. Authentication. <laughs> um, is that something that you would strongly recommend is done? I mean, is that possible to do on all of these platforms or is there maybe just one way to do it? Right on cue. That's my third tip, Claire. And, and my, my sub-tip to that is to call it 2FA because two-factor <laughs> authentication is far too much of a mouthful to say. See, all of these tech terms, they're there to trip us up. <laughs> I, I couldn't get it out properly. <laughs> Claire could have done that. <laughs> so, yes, uh, 2FA is um, this, the, this method by which... Um, in order to log in to one of your online accounts, you need your username, your password, but also another piece of information. Now, it might well be that a hacker would be able to get hold of your username and password. Perhaps a company, an online service that you use, suffers a data breach. Uh, that's, that's not your fault. You know, we can look after our own details as best as we can, but we trust third-party companies who we do dealings with to look after their stuff. But time and time again in the news, we hear stories of big data breaches whereby username, passwords, other information that uh, companies hold about about it as well gets leaked to hackers. So if a hacker were able to get hold of the, our username and password, if we have two-factor authentication enabled for that online account, it would still make it very, very difficult for them to get access to it because this is where a, a one-time code gets sent to, for example, our mobile device as an SMS message or using an authentication app. So in order for a hacker to gain access to our account, wherever they were in the world, not only would they need our username and password, but they would need access to our mobile phone and to a code that has just been sent to my mobile phone and is only valid for 10 minutes in order to log into the account. So by enabling two-factor authentication, you have instantly made access to your account a thousand times more difficult than it would have been otherwise. Um, so in terms of our passwords, how often would you recommend that these are changed? Um, I think you mentioned earlier you had in excess of 500 passwords. So, um, yeah, what would you suggest? How often should we be looking at this and, and continuously changing them? There are some areas of debate, discussion and downright disagreement in the cybersecurity industry and how often and indeed whether at all people should be forced to change their passwords is one of those. And conventional wisdom says, oh, yes, you should change your password every month or something in case a hacker gets access to that online account. If you change your password, then that means they will no longer have access. And that sounds very, very reasonable. But again, people with far bigger brains than I have worked out that actually that introduces more risk because many people don't use a password manager. Many people struggle to remember their passwords, uh, writing them on you know post-it notes or trying to remember them in their head. So instead of you know my January password, they'll put my February password or my March password. Makes it very very easy for hackers to get in. So actually choosing a strong password and sticking 
with that strong password is the advice that, for example, the National Cybersecurity Centre, the kind of public-facing wing of GCHQ in the UK, um, suggests. And they've got various articles on their website, which is a, a, a terrific resource for individuals as well as for business owners. Uh, on you know, just choose a strong password and and stick with it. Still, many many companies that I work with, many clients that I work with, who you know, with whom I have a have a, a longer arrangement or uh, need access to their online systems for more than a few days or weeks at a time, still enforce regular password changes. And I I really wonder how effective that is. So let's have a look before we move on. Um, let's have a little bit of a recap. So we've already spoken about. Password generators and hubs, if you like. I don't know what would what would what would you call them? Password managers. Password managers. Thank you. So yeah, we've got we've got the password generator and password manager thing. We've got the two factor authentication, and I guess if you're trying to establish some two factor authentication on Facebook, and I know Google are really good at two factor authentication, but Facebook and Instagram perhaps not quite so obvious. But I mean, if you just Google two factor authentication on Facebook, you'll be able to work out how to do it because there are some third party apps that do this for you as well, aren't there? Right, yes. So I would say that almost all of the major online services support two-factor authentications. There are some that there are some glaring omissions, uh, and my advice is that those companies aren't taking your security seriously. So you have choice: go elsewhere. It's as, it's as strong as that. That's how important two-factor authentication is. I've already highlighted some of the weaknesses with regards to two-factor authentication cert codes sent as SMS messages, and that's why authenticator apps come in. Uh, and this is a more secure way of receiving those two-factor authentication codes. So there are a handful, maybe more, two-factor authentication apps, Google Authenticator, Microsoft makes another one, some companies use a service called Okta. And this is just another way of receiving those codes that is more difficult for a, a hacker to intercept. I should say another way that's kind of like the gold standard in many ways of two-factor authentication is to have a little security token. So one of these that I use is called YubiKey. It's just a little USB stick. And the clever thing is, is that it's not just a USB stick. It also works wirelessly using NFC, which you know most modern iPhones, smartphones, Androids will accept as well. So whenever I log into some of my online accounts, it wants me, if I'm on my laptop, just to insert that little USB stick and press the button on top, or to tap that authentication token on the back of my phone in order for me to log into an online account. Again, it is very, very, very unlikely that a hacker in some random part of the world who's got your username and password is also going to have access to that little USB stick that's on your key ring. I just want to touch on emails a little bit and spam. And you know, A lot of people are very familiar with what that is and they've been going around and doing the rounds for a long, long time now. I have this thing, I don't know whether you're aware of this uh, bit of software, David, called Mailwasher. Have you heard of this? I've heard of it. I am, I'm not a user, so you tell me what Mailwasher does for you. Now, I love Mailwasher and I've been using it for a long, long time because um, I have uh, websites and uh, like most... Most of us, my email address is in the public domain, so anyone can access it on the internet. I get a lot of spam and I get a lot of junk come through my inbox. When your email comes in towards you, it doesn't come directly into your computer. It goes to another computer or your server first, where whoever's 
owning your mailbox or managing your mailbox for you. So before you download it onto your computer, it gets downloaded onto the server and then from there you download it. So what Mailwasher does is it allows you to look at what's on the server before it comes into your computer so you can choose which emails you want to download. Sounds great and and I think that's a really sensible way of doing things particularly and again this is a thing for small businesses or anyone with a public facing angle to themselves is that email is a great way for people to get in touch with a business and you have to advertise your email address online and that does unfortunately leave you open to two vectors really. First of all, uh, programs that will go around the web grabbing every single email address that they can see and then adding them to their spam lists, but then also more targeted email attacks as well. So anything that can be an intermediary uh, and you know be that kind of sentry, that guard on the door to say, sorry, your name's not coming in, you're not being downloaded to my computer, mate, is, uh, is, is not a bad idea. And there are other services as well. Um, I mean, you mentioned uh, obviously anti-malware, antivirus, you know, making sure that emails that end up on our computer are good. You know, the other angle of spam is also all of the illegitimate uh, marketing lists that we haven't signed up for and so on. There are other services that can help to uh, declutter your inbox. Another one that uh, I've used in the past is called SaneBox. It will make sure that the emails that end up in your inbox are focused for you. You can hold off, stave off any marketing emails until later on in the day. You can send emails to a black hole, which means they will never, ever appear in your inbox again. That's particularly useful if the unsubscribe button doesn't seem to work. Yes, <laughs> that drives me mad. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Do look up those services. You know, sometimes it's a little bit of extra work to set them up. Um, but oftentimes, and I'm sure Firetrust um, and Mailwasher is the same as well, uh, they will employ machine learning and artificial intelligence algorithms to work out exactly what's good and what's not. And also they've got, um, uh, and it's the same with malicious phone calls, robocalls coming into your phone, uh, which is something I know we haven't touched on, but there are programs you can download, apps you can download onto your smartphone that will compare incoming phone calls um, the caller ID associated with them against a known blacklist. And it's the same that many of these email management programs do as well to say, oh yeah, you know, 99.9999 times an email that comes from this destination mail server with these, you know, with this text in it is going to be spam or have a malicious payload in there. We will block that. And there's similar stuff for robocalls coming in on your phone as well, that particular numbers will be blacklisted and never even make their way through onto your phone screen. I guess really it's almost like embedding this as a part of your week your working week just to be you know aware and make sure you're setting up you know the right systems to protect you is, is going to be good practice really moving forward don't you think i think the main challenge the main thing is awareness it is impossible i'll say it, it's impossible to protect ourselves against all of these scams and you know i've, I've done a lot of work in the past with uh, the, the PC support scam where you get a phone call purporting to be from Microsoft or from TalkTalk Talk or your internet service provider or whatever. And, you know, they will go through the process of installing some malware onto your machine, proving with big inverted commas that there's something wrong with it and extorting money from you or leaving a footprint on your machine and stealing your details as you use it. It's almost impossible to stop that crime from happening. It's just too complex. The best thing we can do is raise awareness of it so that when people receive the call, they identify it straight away as something that's not right and to hang up the phone. 
So with your experience so far, David, and you've come up with some really valuable pieces of information. Um, so thank you very much. What do you, is there anything in particular that uh, pops into your mind with regards to, you know, what the future, you know, could maybe present to us with this ongoing um, cyber concern? Sadly, the future doesn't look bright. The future doesn't look orange. Um, with regards to uh, being safe against cybersecurity, I see these threats continuing to evolve. Um, the uh, defences continuing to, to to struggle, and really, we're the ones who are stuck in the middle there, and we just have to remain vigilant. Uh, the the anti malware, the uh, different ways in which we can protect ourselves they will continue to do what they do, which means that fraudsters will work on social engineering attacks, which means that we have to be vigilant, not just about our digital selves, but on anybody who comes knocking on our virtual physical door uh, saying they've got something for us or asking us for information. It's, it, it's a sad, sad time that we have to say this, but really don't trust anyone unless you can verify they are who they say they are. There certainly have been some kinds of attacks that have have risen, I think, aren't going to go away. Things like uh, ransomware. We saw WannaCry uh, not all that long ago um, scramble data on computers across the world, including the NHS as well, uh, and uh, hold that data to ransom in return for you know good chunky amounts of Bitcoin. Um, and then we've seen, it all comes down to the motives of the malicious actors. Again, we've seen um, uh, software that's more targeted towards individuals that is used to steal information, spyware, I guess, you know, and these, these are sold for big sums of money, typically targeted at activists, political opponents and so on. So I think it's only going to get more complex. And the only thing that we can do is to remain on guard and to keep on listening to, you know, people who know what they're talking about, not necessarily me, but anyone who knows what they're talking about, really, um, uh, to keep across what the latest threats are, because these fraudsters really can be very, very convincing. So let's wrap up with uh, the, yeah, the big, maybe the big three take homes uh, from you, David, because we've talked about a lot of things. We've talked about a lot of scary things as well. But I mean, obviously, there's lots of ways you can protect yourself. So let's just recap over the sort of the big three, David, that you think we should all be paying attention to. Be on guard. Anyone who gets in touch with you by email, by text message, by phone call, they need to be able to verify who they say they are on your terms. Do not trust what they say. If you can get back in touch with them on an independently verifiable phone number or address. That's the only way that you can be assured that you're speaking to the person who you think you are. Email, username and password. These are the main way that we secure access to our online accounts. So protect them. Use a different email address to the one that you advertise on the internet in order to access your online accounts. And with your passwords, make sure you use a password manager. Never, never, never use the same password for different email, uh, for different online accounts and make your passwords long and complicated. And finally, enable two-factor authentication. It's enabled by most online services. And this is the one thing that can really, really reduce the chance of bad guys getting access to your online accounts. So Claire, every time you ring me i want two-factor authentication uh, <laughs> so to make sure it's really you is that right <laughs> no <laughs> i just want to say thank you there's been such so much great information there and it, it so highlights that this is such a great topic for us to cover 
because people really need to be uh, on top of all this kind of stuff. And also, we also need to con- congratulate you, David, because you're our first return guest. Oh, <laughs> oh how lovely. Well, thank you very much indeed for, for, for having me back. Sadly, there's an awful lot to talk about when it comes to <laughs> cybersecurity. So we have a set of questions at the end that we ask at the end of every episode, which are the same questions every time. They're all inspired by a TV show called Inside the Actor Studio. But obviously, David's already been here, so he's already answered the questions. So that means we've had to come up with a completely new set of questions just for you. I'm very excited by this. Very excited. So um, your favourite movie, David? Do you know, I actually find it very difficult to sit down and watch a film at home. Going to the cinema is fine, but I've not been doing that for a little while. I do love a good sci-fi or science fantasy. And going back, I'd say films like The Matrix were really important for me, you know, 20 years ago now. And I was also a big fan of a director called Paul Verhoeven. And he did um, kind of future-facing films, sci-fi, science, fantasy films, but with a real sense of humour. So Total Recall, you'll remember, from the uh, 80s, I think. That was a great film. It was a brilliant film, the most expensive film ever made at the time, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Sharon Stone, I think. I remember when that film came out, there was one section uh, in like an like an airport lounge where uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's got a, a mask on and then this mask comes off and it's him underneath. And I remember at the time looking at that and thinking, that is so cool. But then I watched it quite recently with my daughter and it is so yeah, pants. Yeah, and I... Th- it's the same it's the same for a lot of films of that era as well but then other films that were made even before then you know you look back at Star Wars the original Star Wars and yet it was made in the late 1970s but some of those special and visual effects still kind of stand up to today's standards you know a million miles away from the latest Disney movies and, and the Mandalorian and so on but it still stands up in its own right but some of those special effects from the 80s yeah I know exactly the bit you're talking about in Total Recall is a little bit cringe now it is isn't it but it was so great at the time okay so first uh, first album or single you ever bought? OK, I'm going to take you back to 1986. Uh, I can't remember exactly which one. I can narrow it down to two. One of them was uh, either Graceland by Paul Simon or, and not many people remember this, um, I remember it clearly, though, Camouflage by Stan, Stan Ridgeway. Ridgeway. Yes! <laughs> oh. Don't know that one. <laughs> he was a very strange Marine. He was a very strange Marine, yes. Reached number two in the UK charts, I seem to recall. OK, so final question. Who would you like to be stuck in a lift with and what would you say first? So right now, having not been around anybody for a very long time, I'd be happy to be stuck in a lift with anyone, really. Um, (laughs) Would you give them a hug? (laughs) Yes, exactly. Um, But I think, you know, uh, the person who I probably would like to get stuck in a lift with, and they say never meet your heroes because it really goes well, but I would like to give Peter Schmeichel a hug. Now, I, I was a goalkeeper as a kid, football mad, and I wasn't a Manchester United fan particularly, uh, but he was very much the dominant figure and part of a dominant team under Sir Alex Ferguson. And he was, I would say, the best goalkeeper in the world at the time. His son now plays for my club that I go and see under normal times, uh, Leicester City. So uh, I would certainly be very happy to be stuck in a lift for a little while with Peter Schmeichel. And probably the first thing I'd say is, can I give you a hug? Yeah, that's what I thought you were going to say. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us and uh, coming back as well, David, um, our first returned um, guest. So it's been brilliant to have you with us today. Thank you so much for all of the valuable advice and tips that you shared with regards to uh, how we can protect ourselves from these hackers as well moving forward so if anybody has any questions um, and would like to reach out to you David um, how can they do that how can they contact you well 
Twitter is almost certainly the best place to get hold of me. Uh, and I do tweet out a lot of stuff about cybersecurity scams and things that I've come across and that my colleagues have come across. So that is at David McClelland. Uh, that is uh, a lot of C's, a lot of L's and a couple of consonants chucked in for good measure. But uh, uh, I'm, I'm pretty easy to find online there. And uh, yeah, uh, look out there and just just stay safe, be aware, stay vigilant. And as, as sad as it seems, just be uh, have a healthy scepticism about anyone who gets in touch with you. This is the Big Little Business Show, the podcast with bigger tips for small business. Listening to David has really helped me appreciate the really the severity of the situation but most importantly what we can do um you know that's within our power to prevent it from happening it's never going to go away but it's about what we can do to protect ourselves as, as best we can um and really understand it understand it fully so there's a quite a few things there that i've picked up that i'm going to be putting together um including not using the same password for several accounts <laughs> oh, i know that's a big one isn't it this is a subject that i thought i knew quite a lot about and uh, i do have a lot of um, security things in place uh, that David already mentioned but even he surprised me with some of the stories he was saying and some of the uh, lengths um, this uh, kind of industry and it is an industry in itself the lengths they go to to sell information or share information and I didn't realize just I mean I knew it was big but perhaps you almost become a bit blind to it don't you you don't sort of you pretend it's not there but when you you're faced with it and you realize well actually this is huge mm, i think the thing is because it's ever evolving so as quick as we learn new techniques to do um, and we think we're doing the right thing which you know in, in most cases we are such as the two-factor authentication done it well yeah got it <laughs> they're catching up they're behind you and catching up so um yeah it's to be extra vigilant all the time um, and you know keep our heads above water and just just keep learning and being aware and being aware that's what David said just be aware absolutely right so we hope that was valuable and you learn some things and you're going to sort of take some steps to secure yourself a little bit more now did David did mention a few uh, places you can go to and a few things uh, very specific and links and places you can go and check out some of this stuff that he recommended we'll put all that on our website biglittlebusinessshow.co.uk click on the homepage and it'll send you to the page relevant to this episode Episode and you'll be able to get uh, all that information so you don't feel like you need to sort of scribble it all down, even though I know you like scribbling stuff down, Claire. I still have to. <laughs> so every week we like to wrap up the show by bigging up a company, talking about someone who's been listening to the show or someone who's bumped into us on social media, on all the different channels where we live, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and of course Clubhouse too. Uh, so uh, who's on your list today? I'd like to give a shout out to Juice HQ. And Juice HQ produced 100% raw cold press juices um, and vegetable juices so made of fruit as well um, and they deliver and collect from your doorstep so something really really healthy um, and I just love the fact as well that they um, reuse glass bottles as well and cooler bags so they're really environmentally friendly and they can be found at juicehq.co.uk Oh this is such a great idea and I hope they expand I mean, at the moment they're in Essex and they deliver to a lot of places in Essex I mean if this kicks off they could end up doing it all over the place, it's such a great idea and then all these great little cute little bottles and it's really really healthy and I love the whole sustainability of it too Yeah plastic bottles saved by them 
by using glass is actually 170,272. That's amazing. So, yeah, go and check them out. JuiceHQ.co.uk. Give them some support. And um, fingers crossed they might be expanding and coming to your area very soon. So that pretty much wraps it up from us. Thank you. Massive thank you to uh, David McClellan for all these great advice, which we hope will help you become a little bit more secure. And go and check us out on social media, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and come and find us on Clubhouse too, where we have a regular little club every uh, weekday morning. And um, that pretty much does it. Until next week, say goodbye, Claire. Bye-bye. The Beat. You've been listening to The Big Little Business Show with Paul Mumford and Claire Horsley. You can subscribe to get the latest episodes via iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn and everywhere you find your favourite podcasts. Come and find us at biglittlebusinessshow.co.uk and we're on Facebook too. Just search for Big Little Business Show.